Sure. So I, that's a big question and I'll try to keep it focused and brief. I work in an industry. I wish I worked in a profession, but I work in an industry. So in, industries distribute products to their, to consumers. In a profession, you're a professional that, that is educated in your field and then is credentialed, then pays attention to evidence and should, as a professional, your focus needs to be on doing the doing right by and doing the best things for your patient or your client. Welcome to Rejuvenating with Dr. Ron Kaiser. This is a podcast designed to help you lead your life enthusiastically today, tomorrow, and every other day. I am your host, Ron Kaiser, positive health psychologist, also keynote and TEDx speaker and author of the triple winning book, Rejuvenating the Art and Science of Growing Older with Enthusiasm. As listeners to the podcast know, my goal is to constantly bring you guests who lead their own lives with enthusiasm, who enjoy what they're doing and enjoy helping us to become better versions of ourselves. And I think one of the things that enables us to become better versions of ourselves is to limit our concerns about money and to feel confident about the fact that we will be able to lead our lives not only with enthusiasm, but with the financial wherewithal to be able to pursue retirement, if that's what we choose to do, or whatever direction our life takes us with confidence. And there's no better guest to be able to help us with that than Bradley Clark. Bradley is CEO and founder of Clark Asset Management. He is one of only 3% of advisors who hold both a certified financial planner and retirement income certified professional designations. We'll learn a little more about that. Brad holds his BA from Harvard University and his MBA from Stanford, but he still has important stuff to say. So if some of you who went to better schools are looking down, obviously being a bit facetious, he, so we know that he learned. Now we're going to learn about what he, what he retained. His work history is very impressive, too. Prior to founding Clark Asset Management, Brad served as publisher of The Motley uh, Fool, a newsletter that I know I had read in the past, co-founded Military.com, and was a partner in a financial and strategy consulting firm. His book is Be the Bird, interesting title, and we'll learn about that. And in it, he reveals how to avoid the $1 trillion wealth industry shakedown and protect and enjoy your assets for life. Really want to hear about that. So after more than a quarter of a century of helping people make better financial decisions and studying why people make financial decisions, he discovered the prevailing compensation schemes of commissions and percentages are good for advisors, but highly problematic for clients, given the disturbing conflicts of interests. And his goal is to eradicate those schemes, and he has very interesting things to tell us about how to do it and how we can 
help in this regard. Brad, it's a real pleasure to welcome you to Rejuvenating with Dr. Ron Kaiser. We're so looking forward to hearing what you have to say. Pleasure to have you with us. Thank you so much, Ron. I've been looking forward to this as well. I feel like your mission around enthusiasm as we age, and I, and I think my view of how do we achieve and maintain relaxed confidence as we age, I think they are linked, and I look forward to exploring that with you. Great. The term relaxed confidence doesn't actually have something financial in the title, and I was interested to find out about your book and the fact that it's unlike a lot of people, it's not really designed to, to sell us anything as much as to promote the way that we approach the aging process. Can you tell us about your philosophy and what overlays it? Because it's not typical for financial professionals. Sure. So I, that's a big question and I'll try to keep it focused and brief. I work in an industry. I wish I worked in a profession, but I work in an industry. So in, industries distribute products to their, to consumers. In a profession, you're a professional that, that is educated in your field and then is credentialed, then pays attention to evidence and should, as a professional, your focus needs to be on doing the doing right by and doing the best things for your patient or your client. So within, within the idea of professionals, we have helping professionals, like a nurse or a therapist or a psychiatrist or a psychologist or doctor or school counselor. These are commonly referred to as the helping professions, right? And... In 1996, I took a portfolio theory class from a Nobel Prize winner at Stanford Business School named Bill Sharp. And he opened my eyes to the reality of the incentives in the financial advice industry. And I, and it's one of the most important moments of my life is having him open my eyes. And I think that planted the seed in the deep recesses of my brain and my heart and my soul, which someday... I would form the firm that I have. And after years of being critical about the financial advice industry, I decided to do something about it and I formed this firm. And so I have a dual mission, right? One is to do right by my clients, serve my clients and help them achieve this feeling of relaxed confidence, which we can kick around later. But there's a second part of my mission, which is to poke the bear in the eye with a sharp stick <laughs> and to be an example to younger advisors and to demonstrate that we actually can comport ourselves in a way that's consistent with being a helping profession. So I would love to think that part of my legacy is to make my contribution to help transform this industry into a helping profession. I'm wondering, I mean, that, that's really interesting, but I'm wondering why didn't it evolve as a helping profession? It seems this is one of the greatest ways that people can help people to, to retire with, uh, again, relaxed confidence and so on. 
what happened along the way that that made it evolve in a different direction? Yeah, it's a great question. Very good question. I would argue it is the incentives within the prevailing compensation schemes, right? So for a long time, it was all commission driven. The more I churn your portfolio with trades, the more money I make. The more inappropriate complex, convoluted, and opaque life insurance policies I sell to you, the more commissions I make. The more inappropriate annuities I sell to you, the more commissions I make. If I put you in an inappropriate mutual fund with an 8% front-end load, I make all these commissions. People tend to do what they are paid to do, even otherwise very good and ethical people. We are blind to the incentives of our compensation schemes. We are blind to the inherent conflicts of interest. And I think you would know this better than I, given your background. I think this is because the brain must resolve cognitive dissonance. If the brain at the same time holds two things in it, which are in conflict, Either your behavior needs to change or the brain must reconcile this in a different way by justifying the behavior. We must resolve cognitive dissonance, okay? So for a long time, that was it. Recently, there's been a shift, a partial shift away from commissions towards charging people on a percentage of assets basis that would seem to fix the problem. However, it just kicks the can into a different form of conflict of interest. If I'm running your money at 1% and you say, I'd like to buy, I'd like to pay off my mortgage or give money to my kid or defer social security or buy a lake house, all of those ideas that you have will take money directly out of my pocket because they reduce the size of your portfolio. Hmm. I wanna be very clear. I'm not trying to indict the people working in the system. I'm trying to indict the system itself and the impact of the compensation on the people working in it. What's the answer? You've told us about commissions and percentage of the portfolio? What, what should people be looking for in an advisor that gets around this if there is? So you just want to find a fee-for-service advisor that rejects those two compensation schemes. You can pay by the hour. You can pay by the project. You could pay a retainer, right? Any of those are fine. Pay the way you would pay a therapist. Pay the way you would pay an attorney or a CPA. Pay in a way that actual helping professionals charge. That's really interesting. So whether somebody has $10 million or $50,000, that the work that you do for them, whether if you do an hour's worth of work or whatever way it's set up, that they pay the same thing. Am I correct? That's exactly correct. And so it is only by... It is only by patently rejecting the prevailing compensation schemes and replacing them with what I articulated that this industry has only any hope in hell 
of becoming a helping profession. Well, so you, it sounds like you're a real pioneer in this area or how widespread is it that, that people, if I'm in Philadelphia, you're in Massachusetts, I'm going to ask about being in touch with you, but what's the likelihood that I'm going to find somebody in, in my area if I want to see him face to face or if I don't know about you, you know, how many people operate like this? So there's 300,000 financial advisors in this country. Let's, and then I would say probably 6,000, so 2%, which would qualify as being fee only. Fee only means there are no commissions, you are independent, your firm is not owned by another firm that has proprietary products. Within the 6,000, most of them are still charging that percentage of assets, okay? So let's say that's 4,000. So it wouldn't surprise me if there are 2,000 financial planners in the country with and without the CFP who are charging by the hour, by the project, or on a retainer basis. So we're talking about 1%. So you're not going to bump into us. You need to know that we exist and then look for us. Okay. Let me ask a related question, which is there There obviously are a lot of people who are willing to work with your assets. And I know you're quite proud that you have the designations of CFP or Certified Financial Planner, but also our our ICP, Retired Income Certified Professional, what do those designations mean and how does that set you apart from other people who are in this line of work? Yeah, so there's probably 50 or 80 designations, right? So it's alphabet soup, right? And so what's a consumer supposed to do with that, right? It's very tempting just to tune it all out because lots of people have lots of letters next to their name. So one option is tune it all out. Another option is to learn what the top three or four or five mean, right? And so one is that is very well known is a CPA, right? Certified Public Accountant. That's pretty hard to get. A CFA, Chartered Financial Analyst, hard to get. So this person understands how to read a balance sheet or an annual report and do you know real investment analysis. The third major one is the CFP, Certified Financial Planner. There's about 80,000 of us now. The CFP and the CFA and the CPA, you could argue, form an interesting triangle, right? The CPA is coming from the tax side. The CFA is coming from the investment side. The CFP, you could argue, is more of a generalist. They know a lot about tax, but not as much as a CPA. They know a lot about investing, not as much as a CFA. However, they know a lot about retirement planning, and insurance and estate planning and college planning and charitable giving. They know how to articulate goals or help a client articulate goals. They build retirement plans, right? So it's a very holistic credential. So if you liken it for a second to what you would see in medicine, a primary care physician may be the analogy, right? So they went to medical school, highly credentialed, very competent. They have a 360 view of your life, your financial life instead of your health life or medical life. They can diagnose and treat, but occasionally they have to coordinate care or refer out. 
right? And that's very similar to a CFP. Okay, the RICP is much less well-known. There may be 80,000 CFPs, but only 8,000 RICPs. This designation is about the distribution phase. And what I mean by that, or some, some people call that the decumulation phase. The financial advice industry is built to sell insurance and to capture assets so that the advisors can charge 1%. Actually living below your means and putting money away into accounts, into, in, into index funds and being patient is not complicated. It's not easy, right? It's simple, but not easy. But once you start, once you retire or semi-retire and you begin to confront the planning challenges as you get older, there's many more of them, many more risks and things get much more complicated. The decade of your 60s is interesting. Medicare optimization, social security claiming, do we purchase long-term care insurance? Do we self-insure? Roth conversions, how much should we be converting at what tax bracket? Donor advised funds be, while we're still in a high, high income year. So what we often see are people who do this themselves in their 20s, 30s, 40s, and 50s-ish. And then when they start to see retirement or semi-retirement on the horizon, they finally raise their hand and say, the stakes are higher, the complexity is higher, it's time for a collaboration. Unfortunately, the vast majority of financial advisors and financial planners have not bothered to become experts in this distribution phase or decumulation phase. And so I went out to get that credential and to specialize my firm in working with pre-retirees and retirees because the distribution puzzle is much more complex than the accumulation puzzle. Aside from, I think you're giving us a pretty good indication age-wise when people should be involved with somebody like yourself. What about in terms of finances? Is there some amount of money that you say, okay, this is, I, I've got a portfolio that's this big, this is really bigger than I should handle, or is it something you recommend for everybody, or is there anything? Uh, yeah, absolutely not. So, the, so I ran into a segmentation study years ago from Forrester Research that it was really simple and elegant. It said there's three types of investors, soloists, validators, and delegators. So that essentially is trying to tease out your attitude towards the your level of self-directedness. So a soloist is another term for a do-it-yourselfer. Some people are good at this. It's their hobby. They've read enough about it, and they can make good decisions. The opposite of a soloist in my world is a delegator is afraid of money, don't want, doesn't want to deal with money, is not interested, and just foists all of this off onto a financial advisor that they trust. The problem is that the industry has been preying on delegators for a long time because they don't ask questions. 
They don't ask what the fee is that's being paid. They don't ask about conflicts of questions because they are are delegators. The chewy middle is the validator. The validator is interested, does want to make decisions, but wants a professional to collaborate with. And I think anybody who's listening should just have an honest discussion with themselves, which is, are you a soloist, a validator, and a, or a delegator? And if you think you're a soloist, do you really have the chops? And maybe the answer is yes, and which is fine, because there's definitely soloists who do a great job and would never need somebody like me. If you're a delegator and you have an advisor already, consider asking a couple of tough questions. If you're a validator, maybe you're working with an advisor currently, or maybe you aren't. If you've been a soloist, but maybe but you think you're turning into a validator, that's often what we see, right? Because you're not necessarily a soloist for life. Like you may get to the point where, hey, you raise your hand and it's time to, to work with someone. But I don't use rules of thumb like financial rules of thumb or age-based rules of thumb. I really, I think it has to be your attitude, your competence, your interest, and this idea of your level of self-directedness. It's very interesting. Speaking of rules of thumb is, I've seen all kinds of things about how your investments should be distributed depending on your age and stuff like that. Is there a pattern that you suggest uh, for where you put your money, either at certain ages or things of this nature? Is it just such an individually designed kind of thing? It's a great question. So conventional wisdom was, or is, when you're young, you're in stocks. When you're old, you're in bonds. And so one of the manifestations of that is your age in bonds. If you're 20, if you're 25 years old, you're 25% in bonds, 27 and 75 in stocks. If you're 80 years old, you're 80% in bonds and 20% in stocks. So that's one of those rules of thumb that kind of came up, your age in bonds. So the idea is you just, each year you take a little bit of risk off the table. As research has improved, I think we're starting to see that it ain't that simple. And that The idea of when you're young, that you're trading human capital for financial capital does suggest that you can tolerate risk. As you get into your 40s and 50s, or you get within maybe five or seven years of retirement, most people, some people are working into their 80s, right? Most people are not. I think presumably more of your audience is. But in any case, if people are typically retiring in their early to mid-60s or the people who hire financial advisors are, as you approach that, you're entering this very vulnerable zone called sequence of returns risk. So from, let's say, 65 to 75, sequence of returns risk, where it's not that important how well the stock market does from 60, from age 60 to age 90 on average. What matters is, do you retire into a bull market or do you retire into a protracted bear market? It's the, 
It's not the returns, it's the sequence of those returns. And for that reason, some of the best thinkers now are saying it's mostly stocks during accumulation. Five or so years out from retirement, take a decent chunk of that off the table. And some people refer to that as a bond tent or an income floor, but take a bunch of that off the table so that you can make it through the sequence of returns risk window with confidence. When you emerge on the other side and you're on social security, now you're 72, 75, you've made it through that vortex. And now what thinkers are saying is, consider a rising glide path where you, at that point, just allow the stock portion to drift up and up and up and up because sequence of returns risk is no longer a factor. So this is an example where rules of thumb have their place, definitely, but they tend to get sticky. They get stuck in our brains and they get stuck in the brains of financial advisors. And yet there's all this awesome research that shows that those things should get unstuck and thrown away. Boy, that's... That is so interesting. To, that there's so many things you're you're teaching us today in terms of how to look at things that go against kind of what many of us have been taught and conventional wisdom. And I could certainly keep talking with you about it indefinitely, but I want to hear a little bit about your book and some of the other things that. You do. Can you tell us a little bit about your book and the philosophy that underlies it? And we'll find out about where people can get it and what else they can learn from you, because I've seen your videos. I know there's lots of things out that, that you offer to the to people out in the world. Sure. I'm a business guy. I went to business school. I did consulting. So I'm constantly thinking about things like, what business am I in? And if you're doing branding work or competitive positioning work, that's very valuable. Is McDonald's in the fast food business or in the, or they in the family entertainment business? So how you think about the business you're in is valuable. So at the most at the most literal level, I'm in the business of financial planning and investment management. Fine. But try to kick that up a notch. Th those are just that's just architecture and tools and strategies and technical stuff. Kick that up a notch. What else? What other business could I be in? You could argue I'm in the risk management business, right? So we all face risks in our lives. We believe we are in control of our lives, but we're in less control of our lives than we really are. And that's actually a cognitive bias, which is favorable, right? We believe we have more control over our lives than we really do. We face a lot of risks in our lives. Some of them are health. Some of them are psychological. Some of them are financial. Within financial, there are 10 or 12 risks that most people face as they retire and as they live in retirement. So another way to think about the business that I'm in is that I'm a chief risk officer in the lives of my clients. So that kicks it up a notch. It abstracts it from financial planning and investment management. Another abstraction that you could argue is even higher is the ultimate benefit. 
that we're trying to deliver for and with our clients, which is this feeling. It's an emotion. It's the feeling of relaxed confidence to achieve it and then maintain it for life. It's funny because you'd think the more money somebody has, the more relaxed and confident they would be in their life. I've served so many people with a million bucks or 50 million bucks. And I got to tell you, the more money somebody has, it does not drive up the feeling of relaxed confidence. And so what I started to realize is that having a great financial plan with great financial products is necessary, but not sufficient to achieve that ultimate goal of relaxed confidence in your financial life for life. And I got so fascinated with this and I tied it back to some things that happened to me in my life, maybe eight, 10, 12 years ago, where I really struggled with confidence. And I start, it started to elevate for me kind of the purpose of what we're doing and the ultimate benefit. So instead of just writing the, uh, one of 10,000 books on retirement planning, I drove very hard in the book into relaxed confidence and then things you can, you can do in your financial life to foster that. And so that's the book. Okay. And tell us the name again and where people can get it. So the name is Be the Bird, which sounds abstract, and it is. The subheadline, though, is very literal, and you read that at the beginning of the podcast. So Be the Bird, there's a quote from a guy named Charlie Wardle, and I can't remember the exact quote, but the gist of it is, the bird sitting on the branch is confident not in the branch, but in his own, in himself. So the bird is at rest on the branch, but knows if the br the branch gave way, that he would be fine. And I found it so fascinating. And, and we put it in front of lots of re initial readers and decided to name the book Be the Bird. So it is available on Amazon, hard copy, and Kindle. I also have an offer on my website. So my website is bradleyclark.com. There's no E at the end of Clark, bradleyclark.com. If you go there and do forward slash podcast offer, if you book a free or complimentary consult call with me, where I'm not trying to sell you anything, we just chit chat about these strategies and these ideas. If you book that, I will ship out a free hard copy version of the book. No credit card needed, no strings, no gotchas, no hidden anything. So that's just an offer I have just for the listeners of the, the podcasts that I'm joining. That's it. Great. And that that's a wonderful offer. It's a wonderful book. And we'll have the, the URL and the link in the show notes. But will you run by it again, the, your website and the slash? Oh, yeah, I did that quickly. So the website even if you're not interested in the offer or the book, is bradleyclark.com. And there's free reports. There's a video class on there. There's all sorts of goodies around retirement income planning. There's a link to the book you can purchase. 
If you are interested in a free book and or speaking with me, if you book that consult call, which is just through Zoom, low pressure or through the phone, if you book it using that link, then we'll ship out ship out a free hard copy version of the book. That's wonderful. And I can certainly vouch for what's on the website. I, there, it's, I believe, is it a 10 session class that you, you have on your videos? Yeah, I think there's a, yes, I think there's a total of 12 videos, but the, but it's 10 steps. They average five minutes. It's only an hour of content. You, you're not forced to go through all of them. You could skip if you need to. I've gotten very good feedback. And I generally get get the feedback is generally that I'm that I is been, they, the basic feedback is hey you're taking a lot of complex things and you're distilling them, keeping them simple, not talking down to people, and basically explaining them in a very approachable way. In the video class, it's a natural build. It's not just ten separate separate topics, but rather there's a natural build. And by the end of it, I sometimes get this compliment, which I love, which is, hey, I've been around the block. I'm aware, I've seen all of this. I've seen all the trees, but Brad, you helped me see the forest. I've never had somebody put it together for me before. Now I can see the forest. And when you can see the forest, you often have people who then exhale in a very positive way. It's, ah, I get it, right? And that's the beginning. That's the leading indicator of the possibility of relaxed confidence. Yeah, and I can certainly share those feelings. I just think for those of us who may have struggled to get through econ class in the past or been discouraged about following any kind of business pathway in, in college, if your mind doesn't work in that way, it'll still be able to absorb this because of the way that you present it. I mean, it's it's obvious that you're not typical for your industry. And I believe there's one other thing I got to ask. I believe that with the consultations, and if people should wind up booking with you as a client, there, there are no like geographic restrictions. Am I correct? Even though you're in Massachusetts? So. Yeah, that that's right. We have 120 clients at this point, growing pretty quickly. We've got a team of five full-time folks. Four of us are CFPs and we have clients all over the country. We just got a new one today for Montana, yesterday, Alaska and California. And I think what has happened, Ron, is that COVID has forced all of us to rethink what we're willing to do, what type of decisions we're willing to make in what context. And I think on the strength of the videos and the book and the website, and then speaking with me and all the all of the real transparency that we value, like we, pub, we put our price right there on the website, that plus how people have changed their decision-making behavior through COVID has meant that my sleepy little Northern New England firm is now clearly a national firm. Wonderful. You obviously deserve all that success. Hopefully many of my listeners will take you up on your offer because I know it's a totally free thing with no strings attached other than 
getting a consultation with you with no strings attached. And this has been so terrific. Brad, thanks very much for sharing your wisdom, sharing your information, your outlook, your attitudes, and so on, and causing us to rethink our own strategies for how we deal with things and perhaps learn that what we may have learned in the past may not be the best way to do things when we go about wanting to hang on to our money. And thanks very much for being with us. Real pleasure. And we'll have all the contact information on in our show notes. And thanks again. Well, thank you. I really appreciate it. And I'm sold on your mission and philosophy, philosophy of, of enthusiasm and maintaining that and nurturing it as we get as we get older. So I, I'm a big fan of that idea as well. And I was very pleased to connect with you. Thank you. And I guess it's a lot easier to be enthusiastic if you are, have some relaxed confidence about. Yeah, I think maybe in another forum, we could really explore the two ideas and how they overlap and how they encourage each other. I was actually going to say that we've got to talk about some ways in which some of our work can dovetail, because I think we we our kindred spirits working with with a similar population. So thanks again. Thank you. That brings to a conclusion another episode of the Rejuvenating with Dr. Ron Kaiser podcast. Our special guest has been Bradley Clark. All his contact information, including the way to get his book, will be available in our show notes. And please tell your friends about this episode. Download it, have them download it, rate it, review it, and then be back next week when we'll have another interesting guest. Be hard to top Brad's job, but have another really interesting guest who's going to help us become better versions of ourselves. Until then, stay positive, stay safe, and we'll see you next week.